So we're in this study on the end times is where we've been kind of camping out in our Bible studies. And here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is trying to put to rest some of the issues that have risen up in the church. And how many of you know that some of us, if you remember this past Sunday, we talked about the horse and the mule. Some of us are the horse and some are the mule when it comes to end times discussion. Some of us, you start talking about the rapture and the antichrist. We like that horse. We, oh yeah. And others of us are like the mule. We don't want to hear it. Amen. We just hear, don't worry about it. But, but there, but the apostle Paul was dealing with some horses because when he in first Thessalonians started talking about the rapture, they started getting excited. They got cricks in their neck because they was looking up. They was just waiting right then. They was ready. Amen. Um, so the Apostle Paul is just kind of dealing with that and saying there's some things that are going to happen first before the Antichrist comes, before the Antichrist comes. There are some things that are going to happen first. And so that's where we're going to pick up this passage in verse number one of 2 Thessalonians 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that's the rapture, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. And that's a, a, an important distinction and I would encourage you to kind of look through this at, a, at another point, but we've done this in the past, but there is a difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord lasts for a thousand and seven years and it starts terribly for the people on the earth. The day of Christ is a good day for the believer. So it's an important distinction that you need to understand, but the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, you can study that out. Um, verse number three, let no man deceive you. Now I could stop right there and just preach, but let me just tell you this. Anytime anybody preaches anything, you cannot allow their words to carry more weight than God's word. And, and the only way that somebody can deceive you is if you allow their words to carry more value than the word of God. And, and, and so we're going to look at in a little bit denominations and denominations spring up from division and division happens because people begin to esteem one thing or one certain thing and isolate it and pull it out of the fullness of the word of God. And so once we begin to get a magnifying glass, that's when we begin to separate ourselves instead of taking the whole counsel of God um, in totality. So let no man deceive you just to tell you, uh, and, and, and that goes for anything, any, any Bible study you listen to, um, you need to weigh the value uh, or the, um, you need to, you need to weigh out what that person believes, their biblical values. Because um, even though somebody may say something right, they may say something later wrong. And so you have to look at the totality of what their biblical values are. Amen? I've, I've, let me just say this. I've seen a, a little uh, thing on, I don't know, Facebook or something. But, you know, that Lucifer was in the desert with Jesus. And he said, if you'll uh, bow down and worship me, right? If you'll worship me, I'll give you all these things. And I saw somebody 
just quote that one part as a Bible verse. If you worship me, you'll get all things. Totally misquoting and pulling out of context, right? Even though it's true, even though the Bible says that, but they don't tell you who said it, right? So that's why you, you, you have to weigh the totality of, this, of the person. So anyways, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, prophetically, that's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Jesus himself and by the, the prophet Daniel, okay? But before that, before that, you have a falling away. So Paul's telling you before the day of Christ comes, there's going to be a falling away first. In other words, the church is not going to start out in the upper room and get better and better and better and better until we're butter. We, the, the church doesn't do that. In fact, what's going to happen is the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more people that say they're believers are going to fall backwards. And so this falling away, it, 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 it does in context mean that you were in church or you did belong to a group of believers and then you walked away you you fell backwards you you got preoccupied with something else something else took preeminence over what you first believed you began to allow other things come between you and your essential beliefs the, those essential things that you first got saved when you believed Christ when you believed that on that cross he died for your sins that he's God in the flesh that that he's eternal in his existence that uh, when, when you first believed that but how many of you know after that first you know, week or month or whatever, somebody's going to come put their arm around you, introduce you to a new kind of teaching, a new kind of doctrine, and you're going to begin to walk away. At some point, there's that testing of what you hold dear, right? You always have to go back to what I believe to get saved. What did, did I have to stand on my head to get saved? Did I have to wear a certain haircut? Did I have to, I, you know what? I've seen people drunk, right? get saved i've seen them i've seen the spirit of god sober them up i've seen people with hair down to their knees get saved i've seen people that you know you would think uh you know didn't know how to dress right or talk right or act right well who did before they got saved so it, it, you know it's not that that saves you it's what you believe and so um un understand that this falling away is a falling away from those fundamental truths it's those fundamental truths let me put it like this you fall away from the simplicity of christ there's a simplicity to the gospel and and and, and sometimes the simplicity is too hard to hold the simplicity you have to hold by faith the simplicity of the gospel, you have to hold by faith, but once that's too much because faith costs you something. You have to believe from the heart at all times with all that you have. And you know what? It's easier to put faith in what you've done. At some point, there will be that, that kickover. 
where you no longer hold the simplicity of the truth of the gospel, but now you also hold, well, I, you know, uh, I know I'm saved because of my church attendance. You just add something in because it's something you can hold on to. But your church attendance didn't get you saved in the beginning. Right? But, but once we begin to fall from the faith, once we begin to fall back from those essential beliefs and let go of what we hold dear, we'll grasp at straws. You know what that is? It soothes the conscience of the flesh. If you, don't, if you don't have the flesh crucified, you're going to have to soothe the conscience of the flesh with a religious act. Somehow, some way. Everybody's got a different one. It, it, it scratches their itch. But if, if, if your flesh is not crucified, if you don't come to the end of yourself and find the end of yourself at who Jesus is and receive all that he has for you at the cross, if that's not your ticket to glory, then you're going to grasp at straws to soothe the conscience of the flesh. You're going to put a value on your, your giving, your church attendance, the way you dress, the way you talk. You're going to put a value on your knowledge, just something. And you're going to see in a minute, you're going to put, some people put a value on um, the, the Lord's Supper. Some people put the value on the baptism. Some people put the value on tongues. Some people put the value on all kinds of stuff, church membership. So that's how those things begin to arise. And, and, and the apostles foretold all these things. They foretold all of this. Look at the simplicity of Christ in, in, in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm telling you about the falling away and it's a falling away from the simplicity of, of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and, and, and you should be familiar with this passage. So we're not going to go through the whole thing, but Paul said in verse number three, second Corinthians 11, this is when he didn't think that they were right. He didn't think that they held on to the truth. He didn't think that they coveted the truth more than anything. He was a little bit scared of them. How many of you know, how many of you know whenever you've taught somebody something and you, they act like they got it, but you know they don't? Right? You, you've trained them, you've taught them, you, you, you've brought them up in what to do, and they, keep, they, they say, I got it, and you know they don't. Well, when it comes to your eternal soul, a prophet or, or a minister, or an apostle of God is, is not going to just be casual about it. He said, I'm scared of you. I'm scared you're not going to hold on to what I taught you. Look what he says in verse 3. He said, he said, but I fear, lest by any means as the serpent, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtly, so your mind should be corrupted, listen to this, from the simplicity that is in Christ. That simplicity that's in Christ, I want you to hear this, that simplicity that's in Christ is what saves souls at bus stations. Amen. That simplicity that he's talking about right there is what saves souls on mission fields. That simplicity in Christ is what saves souls on street corners, gas stations, 
It's what saves souls in, in, in places of the world where they're not around religious folks. I've seen people get saved in subways, not the restaurant, you know, the actual subways. I'm sure they've gotten saved in subway restaurants too. But it, why? Because the gospel's simple. You don't have to say, hey, um, read this track and follow me to the church so that you can take the Lord's Supper and get baptized. Fo follow me, read this track and follow me so that you can go put some money in the, in the offering box and get saved like me. No, that's not simple. The simplicity of Christ is the purity of the gospel. And, and you find it all throughout the epistles, right? As, 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 Paul, told, uh, as Paul told that jailer, Remember the jailer when jailhouse rock and the jailer came in and he said he was going to die. He said, don't hurt yourself. What must I do to be saved? What did Paul rattle off? Okay, what, what, what do you got to do to get saved? Hang on, brother. Let me get my list. <laughs> Stand on your head. Learn Greek. Learn Hebrew. Go to theology. Put in money in the offer. No, he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe. Believe. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's why people can get saved in a bus station. That's why people can get saved at, at, at the rescue mission. That's why people, that's why it don't cost them any money. You don't have to pay money to get saved. You don't have to clean your clothes up to get saved. You don't have to stand on your head to get saved. That's the simplicity. It, 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 it's about the soul. It's about the, you coming to the end of self and believing the truth about the gospel that God incarnated in flesh and died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, what did he say? You'll be saved. All those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's all in Romans chapter 10. And so we see this simplicity and I want you to grab that and I want you to contrast that with what we're about to see because Paul is here correcting a situation. You see that he said, I fear. Well, let's go back and look at the beginning of the Corinthian letters. Go back and look at, 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 at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So, so we just read at the end of the Corinthians, he's saying, I'm, I'm fearful of you. I'm fearful of you because you, you're going to get moved off the simplicity of the gospel. How many of, you, how many of you think that if the apostle Paul could have seen this, he would have said, y'all moved off the simplicity? <laughs> that, you're looking at a chart of, of, of some of the denominations. I have one here that has like, you know, it's like this, if you can see it. And there's more. This is, this is a simple chart of denominations. There's, it, you could probably quadruple that. So if the apostle at the beginning of the church is saying, I'm scared of you because you're getting moved off the simplicity of Christ, how much more if he was looking at that? Every street corner, different denomination. And every denomination thinks they're right. right. I mean, they do. 
So look at what he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now this is how he, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren. So he's talking to believers. By them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So notice first century church. The apostle Paul didn't make it out of the 100s. We're still talking about this probably in the 50s. This was written. In that era, first church division. You have, right now they have, well, I got baptized by so-and-so. I got baptized by so-and-so. You know that, that you look at charismatic churches, they the same way. I got, I got hands laid on me by brother so-and-so. Oh, yeah, well, brother so-and-so laid hands on me. I got that anointing from brother so-and-so. No, the Holy Ghost is the one that anoints. Amen. Men are vessels. The Holy Ghost is the anointer, right? And, 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 but, it, but this started way back then. You're looking at that in the, probably the 40s or the 50s, and, and, and it was beginning then, and he said, I don't want there to be any of that. No divisions, no contentions. I want you to speak the same thing. Be of the same mind. And it's my belief, and I'll say this, that I believe that when the rapture happens, when the Lord comes back, I believe the church is going to be back in that place where we're of the same mind. I believe that the Lord is going to dovetail his bride back into the same mind. Um, And how is that going to happen? Well, there's a lot of things going on in the church world today. A lot of things going on in the church world. Um, one of the things that I wanted to get into is these divisions. These divisions come about um, for a lot of different ways. And these were based on, if, if you follow that out, those were based on just who baptized who. And I will point out, just since we're there, look what they said. <clears throat> look what he said in, in verse uh Well, I'll just read verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Now, let me ask you a question. You have probably four or five people that Paul saying he baptized. If baptism is essential for salvation, do you think that Paul stopped at five souls? Because later on in Acts, he says that he preached the gospel to everyone in the known world. He went everywhere he could possibly go. Do you know that there's more people on Facebook than there were living at that time? 
So you literally, if you, you know, were good at Facebook and you could literally preach to more people than the Apostle Paul, but he preached to that many people without Facebook. He didn't even have to take a $60 million jet around the world to preach the gospel. I don't know how he made it. Because he, he was willing to be imprisoned. He was willing to go hungry. He was willing to be beaten. He was willing to starve. He was willing to go however he had to go and do whatever he had to do to finish the course that God gave him. His mind was on finishing the course that God gave him. His mind was not on building a 401k. His mind was not on retiring. His mind was not on building a home for himself. His mind was on building the kingdom of God. And that's, the, that's what he was trying to drive into everyone else. Is this, you've got to get to that point where you, you say, you know what? At some point, we've got to pick up that mantle and be about the Lord's business and not ours. You go read Nehemiah. That's what, that's what got into Nehemiah. You know, that, that, uh, you know, the king allowed them to come back and uh, Artaxerxes and allowed them to come back and they began to rebuild the temple and everything's going right, and, and they get, you know, conflict and everything else. And then one day, Nehemiah wakes up, and he looks across where the house of God is supposed to be, and nobody's there. Everybody's at their own house, tacking things, nailing things, farming things, doing their own thing. And Nehemiah got broken. He said, wait, how can we do that when the Lord's house is not right. And he rebuked them and they all fell in line. But it takes somebody to see that and to speak it, right? But he said, guys, we cannot be about our own business. We have to be about the Lord's. And it's, and it's, and it's the same way with your flesh and your soul. When you, when you lay yourself aside and you find who you are in Christ, that's when you'll find your purpose in life. I believe that God will not allow you to find your purpose in life until you live a crucified life. God's not going to allow you to play patty cake with self and God. So, some, of us, some of us play, you know, uh, what's that game? Ping pong? One day we're going to hit for the Lord and the other day we're going to hit for ourselves. But the Lord's waiting on us to say so long self. And some of us, we just, you know, when you're not there, we're not there. Hey, be honest with the Lord. That's the best thing you can do because the Lord is the one who can convert you. The Lord is the one who can open your eyes. The Lord is the one who can give you revelation on that. The crucified life is, is, not a, is not a secret. It's only, it's only hidden because people don't preach it anymore. But it, it is the power of God. The crucified life, that's the only place where a, a man or a woman will be empowered by the Spirit of God. And you could go read that over in Galatians chapter 2. I've got to get into this before I get... So let's look at denominations, but, but notice that, that the apostle Paul said, I didn't baptize, maybe four or five. So just right out the bat, we're going to look at all these denominations, and you know that a lot of them, a lot of them preach, you got to be baptized to be saved. Paul didn't get that memo. Paul didn't get it. Do you know how many people Jesus baptized? 
Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. Do you know how many people he baptized? None. He, well, what, kind of, what kind of evangelist was the greatest evangelist? If baptism is essential and he didn't baptize any, and he said he came to seek and save. So why do we get all messed up? Well, the, the enemy loves to divide the church of Christ. His desire is to weaken the bride of Christ to get us misdirected and, 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 and going off in different directions. The, the, the more division that he can bring into the church, the weaker the church is. And so that's why the apostle Paul said, I want you to all be of the same mind. I want you to all say the same thing. Speak the same thing. Be on the same mission. And that's why I believe that as we come to the end, the Lord is going to dovetail the church into those essentials of the faith. What is essential? What is it? And, and you look at these, you look at this chart, and, and we're going to look at this in just a second. And, and, and some of them, you know, you go, there's some really good things about this, and there's some really good things about that. But what's essential? That's the key. So when you're looking at denominations, I got to speed up. I'm sorry. We, when you look at denominations, you start in the early, in the early church. And most people, um, most people will say, you know, the first church was the Catholic church. But there's, uh, there's other points of view. There's other people that say that there are other churches that were around back then. And I believe that. I believe that there were other churches back then. But nonetheless, most, most of the time, you, you'll come uh, early, the early church, and then there will be a line, and then there will be the Catholic church, and then from there, you just start dividing out. Why is that? It's just the divisions that we have. Um, the, the Catholic church has certain sets of views. Uh, you got to be baptized, right? How many of y'all know there's, there's reasons why even they believe what they believe? Even though we disagree, they can find why they believe what they believe. You look at the Catholic church, and from the Catholic church comes basically all the other churches. Down through the centuries, um, you, you come to, um, you know, you have the Eastern Orthodox break off, but the big one was the Protestant church breaking off, which was with Martin Luther. That was Martin Luther's revelation that the just shall live by faith. So wait, wait. We, but even the Protestant church, if you think about it, they're protesting against the Pope. Martin Luther nailed the, the theses to the door of the church in protest in a desire that these things be rectified so they can come back into the Catholic Church. Just about very definition, the Protestant Church's desire is to come back into the Catholic Church. And that, that really gives you a, a lot more understanding about the way things are going in the end times. Because um, when you see that the Antichrist is going to have the great prophet next to him who's bringing all religions into one it's going to help if he can coalesce a a large group of denominations 
And we have a movement like never before in our time of Protestants joining hands with the Pope. Um, so there is an, and that's called ecumenicism. That's an ecumenicism view. Um, that is where uh, an ecumenical movement is a movement to bring the Protestants back into the Catholic Church. Um, that is, if you'll look that up and study that out, that is going on in our generation more than any other generation. This was the fear of, of some of the great uh, Protestants, and we're not even Protestant. I, I, I don't claim to be a Protestant, but, we're, but this was the greatest fear of some of the great Protestants down through the ages. You, you see these churches like um, Ian Paisley in, in Ireland and England and you know Spurgeon and all these people. That, the reformers, all these people, that was their fear was that there's going to be a generation that don't know their right hand from their left hand and just wants everybody to be happy and get along and, and ecumenicizes back into the Catholic Church. That was the fear 100 years ago. And it's proven out. It's proven out because we have a generation that's more ignorant of church history than ever before. Uh, we have a generation more ignorant of church history than ever before. You say some of these things and most people have never even heard it. They couldn't tell you the difference between a Lutheran and a Methodist and a Catholic and a Baptist and a non-denominational and a Pentecostal and a charismatic. It's just all different buildings. No, it's different faiths. It's different views. It's different sects. It's different divisions of the church. However, I will say this. I'm not saying that these are saved and these aren't saved. I believe that there are born-again people in every single denomination. But I don't believe that every single denomination is all full of saved folk. I don't even think Pentecostal churches are full of saved folk. I believe like Leonard Ravenhill. He, 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 well, I don't know about He said 10%. He said if your church has 100 people in it, 10 of them are saved. That was his view. Tozer said 30%. Tozer said 30%. So I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they never had a conversion. That's so Brother Clendenham said 15%. So does it so where is that? Ravenhill said 10, Glenn, Brother Clendenham said 15, Tozer said 30. So what's the truth? What well, I mean, we only the Lord knows and they're just giving a rough estimate. But you know, these men had great walks with God and but that was a different generation. So is it worse now or better? So that, that should, you know, light a fire in some of us. But I know, you know, each one of us, I've said this, you know, I've preached a message on this. Each one of us should have a Damascus Road experience where you're going one way and God opens your eyes and you begin to go God's way now. And, and, and that is, you know, you, you can raise up children in the church, but until they have that, 
experience until they understand the truth of the gospel, right? And that's what we pray, Lord, soften their heart. Soften their heart. Bring them to the end of their self. Because if, if we can get people to come to the end of their self and find hope in one person, Jesus, then they'll be saved. So uh, uh, you, you understand that we could spend eight weeks on each one of these denominations. But, you know, we could. But, you know, I'm not saying I never would but I don't see the value right now in spending eight weeks on each denomination. I, I believe it's better to, to preach what you believe than to study the, but it's good to have an overview of what different people believe. Um, but you can just look at, um, you know, like on this chart or, or different things, but from the Catholic church and, and understand too that a lot of people would disagree with even charts like this. Because you, you can look at uh, most people, whenever you look at Pentecostal or charismatic, they say that, that, that they broke off of the, the holiness church, which I believe. But they'll say that the holiness church broke off of the Methodist church, which is probably true. But then they'll say that the Methodist church broke off of the Lutheran church, which broke off of the Catholic church. And so it's all an effort. And, but... But does a Pentecostal really follow that? No, it's birthed from a movement out of it. So even though the line goes that way, you understand? It doesn't mean that the Pentecostal or the Holiness Church is actual part of the Catholic Church. It's just a road that that, that denomination followed. Um, and there's different ones. So the, the main ones, the main discrepancies in the church world are um, baptism for salvation. That's probably the biggest one is baptism for salvation. Um, one of the groups that you'll see on any denomination list, I don't know if it's on this one, but is the Anabaptist, the, the Anabaptist. And if you're, if, if you're evangelical, whether you know it or not, you're Anabaptist. What that means is you believe salvation takes place apart from baptism. What, what we call it is the believer's baptism. We call it the believer's baptism, meaning you, you get saved and then, and then you follow the Lord in baptism. But there are parts of the church world that reject that, that say you have to get, you have to get baptized to get saved. Um, so if you believe the gospel and you're stuck in a desert, pray for rain, that's right. <laughs> Spit in your hand and dunk your head in it. You can get creative, but but I'm but you understand there's a lot of and and there you can you can follow these kinds of teachings out, um, and I encourage you study these things out, um, but but you you're gonna have to come to the the conclusion one way or the other, either salvation happens by belief or by something that you do, a work that you perform, um, and you can look through all throughout the Bible at biblical examples, whether it be the thief on the cross. Right? He didn't have time to get, he didn't say, hold up, I just believed on the Lord, let me down so I can get baptized. He, he didn't do that. I got to get baptized. You, you know, and Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You have to look at the fact that Jesus didn't baptize anybody. You have to look at the fact that Paul baptized four or five at most. And yet he's the apostle of the Gentiles. 
you, you have to look at the fact of scriptures. Believe and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. You have to look at these things. Now, and you don't want to be one-sided because there's scriptures that show an emphasis and an importance on baptism. So there are scriptures there, but you, you have to look at both sides at the same time. What I call is hold them in tension. It, just because one's true doesn't mean you throw the other one out, but both are true. If, it, if the word of God says it, it's true. And you have to hold it in tension. This is the same thing uh, we're going to look at in, well, I don't know if we have time, but when, when you look at these other things coming into the church, people will try to set the old covenant against the new covenant. They're both true. But you can't be in both. Amen. You, you have to be in one or the other. Either you're saved by grace or you're not saved. You're just working and hoping. You, you, you can't have one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new covenant. It, you know, but they're both true. One was true for a generation. And the other one is true for a generation. But they're both true. You have to hold them in tension. And, and like Paul said in, in, to Timothy, he said, study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to understand where things fit in. You, you can't say, oh, I read in the Bible in Genesis that it, God's going to send rain and I better build an ark because God's going to flood the earth. No, God told Noah that. God's not telling you to build an ark. He told Noah to build an ark. So when you rightly divide the word of truth, you understand, well, that's what God told Noah because his day was exceedingly wicked, right? not telling us that well the same way with old covenant new you have to hold these things in tension understand where they fall in if you only have a casual reading of the word of god if you're not if you don't spend time in the word of god studying it if you don't have that then you you will be easy prey for the enemy to divide you from the body of christ because there people that follow all these different i mean i like this one because it has colors but uh, people that follow all these, these, these people start out with right intentions. Yes, sir. Nobody ever, I, I mean, maybe they did, but I'm sure all these are godly people that started all these different denominations. We're right, they're wrong. We're going to start our own thing. And so you, that's why it's important to hold that word of God where it's supposed to be. Let the word of God be the final authority for all that you believe. If you begin to say, well, I know, what, I know what Brother Kenny's saying. I understand that Jesus didn't baptize anybody, and he said he came to seek and save, so he's either the ultimate failure of an evangelist or it's not essential for salvation. I understand what Brother Kenny's saying, but, you know, John Calvin said, da-da-da-da-da. Look, look what the Bible says, not what men say. You have, to, you have to come to the place in your faith where the word of God is the final authority right so you 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 give me i'll, I'll get on a topic you, you want to talk about you know drunkards i you, don't drink you, you talk about all that but you can't allow what brother kenny says to be the final authority and i know you don't but you can't allow any man any man that you read any man you listen you have to come to the place where you get your truth from god and that's for the word of god that's where that is supposed to be of utmost importance Amen. 
So there's different denominations, and, and, and I'll just break down just some of the big ones. Is I, I just say Catholic and Anabaptist. To me, these are the big ones. It's Catholic and Anabaptist. It's a Catholic church. You, you break off of it, Methodist, Lutheran, um, you know, Episcopal, all these. These all have, you know, some form of combination between baptism and the, and the Lord's Supper and being baptized as an infant or as an adult or whatever, what have you, but it's some combination of. Anabaptists, on the other hand, believe that you're saved by faith in what you believe. Um, and, and these people have a history that runs parallel to the Catholic Church. Um, they were persecuted by the Catholic Church. The, the Catholic Church, um, and, and they'll tell you this, but they, they killed more Christians in some centuries than Muslims did. Well, which Christians did they kill? Did they kill good Catholics that abided by their doctrines? No, they killed Anabaptists. They killed people that, that believed you got saved by faith alone. That's what, that's, that, those were the ones that were tortured. Um, one of the greatest books you can read. You want to you, you get your faith going in the right direction. One of the greatest books you can read is Fox's Book of Martyrs. You, you, you can't read that and not have your faith get stirred. Because you'll see page after page after page after page of godlier people than me or you giving their life for doctrine, for this doctrine, this doctrine, believing for salvation. Can you believe, like right now, we just leave a church. Back then, they got killed. Well, right now, we, we like, well, I don't like the way that preacher preaches. I'm leaving. You did that a few hundred years ago. You was going to get a stake through your throat. And, and, and that's, you know, you see the, the, the division that, that comes up, but it has a cost. There's a cost to it. Um, and, 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 and I will say, you know, the Catholic Church, you know, they, they admit that they're history and they ask, you know, for forgiveness on that. So, but it is history. So go read Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and look at it. But, but even Christianity can sometimes be a bloody religion. It's not supposed to be. We, we're not supposed to be like that. Um, but division was once about what you believed, Right? But now we're getting to a place where statement of faith is not enough. Any, any church that you get on the internet or anything like that, any kind of church like that is going to have a statement of faith about what they believe. But we are coming up into a time in the church's history when a statement of faith is not enough. I've, I just kind of cracked this egg a little bit last time, but, and I'll pick, um, I'll pick on non-denominational churches or Assemblies of God churches. Our church... 15 years ago was Assemblies of God. Um, we're non-denominational now, but I'll just pick on the Assemblies of God, but there, you can go into two Assemblies of God and get two different Gospels. Completely different in every way, except for where they put their money in the name. The, the, 
and, and how is that? If they have the same statement of faith, how can they have two different atmospheres and two different ways of teaching? Well, it's because we're coming up into a generation now where a statement of faith is not enough. What we're seeing now is compromise entering into all denominations. Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Pentecostal, um, Charismatic, Assemblies of God, Church of God, all of them. There's a wave of compromise coming into every church, every church. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Um, probably don't have enough time to get, get all this out, but I want to introduce this topic to you. Um, this wave of, of compromise is fracturing denominations. You can look at it in a bad way or a good way. I believe it's good. I believe this is the beginning of God separating sheep from goats. I believe that we have, we have so separated ourselves, it's only going to take a falling away to bring the sheep and goats to be separated. I believe that we've, we have so allowed ourselves to get fractured by, well, I, I don't think we should have church on Sunday night. I'm just not going to go to that church anymore. I believe that we've allowed ourselves to get so fractured by that kind of stuff that we, we've just disintegrated the, the wholeness that God intended for the body of Christ. And the only way to pull it back together is that God separates the wheat and the tares, sheep and the goat. And so you look at the... I want you to hear this. There's a fracturing of denominations going on today. And I believe what is happening is God is separating wheat and tares, sheep and goats. How is, how, how, how is the Lord going to use this? Well, let's look at some of the ways that compromise is entering into the church. I have, let me see, I have six of them listed here. There's more. I just have six listed, but there's more. Um, one of the biggest ways that the enemy is bringing in a false gospel is what's called a seeker-sensitive gospel. How many of y'all ever heard the term seeker-sensitive? Raise your hand if you've heard seeker-sensitive. That's not enough. Seeker-sensitive is, um, is where a, a church will take a survey on what kind of worship songs would you like? Would you like us to include some Michael Jackson, ACDC? You want the walls to be black, ceiling black? What, and, and what they do is they cultivate the way they do church to what people want. It's called seeker. I'm, I'm sensitive to what the people that won't come to church want. What can I do to get you to come to church? Well, if you gave away a 55-inch screen TV every Sunday, I might come put my name in the hat for it. There's churches that do this. A church looks at it as, well, I can put a $700 investment and increase attendance by 200 people. So from the outside, it looks like the church is growing, but what it's doing is it's just a giveaway. It's seeker, this seeker-sensitive movement really kind of got popular by... Um, a, a, a pastor in California by the name of Rick Warren who wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And he was, uh, you said the other day about Chrislam, this blending between Islam and Christianity, and he's one of the biggest proponents of it. 
but it's all about the seeker-sensitive movement, and it's finding out what people want. And then it's not about finding out what God says and living that, living that faith out. It's about finding out what people want and reflecting their values. So now we're reflecting the values of what consumers want. This is what we call a consumer-minded church. A consumer-minded church is a church that looks at the church as a business. They look at you, and this should hearken you back to 2 Peter chapter 2. They look at you as merchandise. The more they can get of you, the more money they get in their pocket. They look at you as merchandise. The more you buy their tapes, the more you do this, the more you buy their books, you are simply merchandise to them. And so the more they... Because if, if it's about souls, they're going to give you the word of God. But if you're merchandise, they're going to reflect the values of the culture to bring more people in because it's about merchandise. Seeker sensitive. And, 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 and the reason I'm saying this is because I want you to see this happens in a Methodist church, Catholic church, Protestant church, Assemblies of God church, non-denominational church, Pentecostal church, church of God. It's not, it's not exclusive to one sect of Christianity. It's infecting all of them. You can, you can go into one Assemblies of God church and it's, it, it, it'll look a lot like, it'll be, you know, white walls, old pews, uh, maybe somebody knitting on the back pew and, and you know, just an old simple church. But then you can go into a completely different one and walk in and the walls are black, the ceiling's black, the, the screens are all waving and smoking and the disco lights are going and, the, and they're giving away TVs and it's just, what is this? This is what people want. It's completely changed to reflect where society is and what society wants. Um, and I'm saying that because I want you to see that these things are infecting all denominations. We're not picking on one. You can't say, well, Brother Kenny, he don't like those assemblies of God. No, this is, this is in all of them. Even, even the most conservative denominations that have existed in America are getting infected with the things I'm sharing with you. Number one is a seeker-sensitive movement. The other one, uh, another one is what we call the social justice movement. You've heard of it. How many of y'all heard of the social justice movement? Uh, how many of y'all heard of woke? Raise your hand if you heard of woke. We, we call it the woke gospel. This, this is... Um, this is the gospel where we're trying to rectify systematic injustices that have happened over centuries. We're more, we're more focused on restoring the, the injustices that society has put upon us than on the gospel. Reparations is a good example of it. Yes, this is with slavery. There's a call to bring reparations to people that are descendants of slaves. But I think in our generation, probably pretty much all of us have some, some of that blood in us. Um, but nonetheless, that's neither here nor there. But one of the things is that reparations, it sounds good. But you have to think about, does it, 
fix the situation. Because the, the pain, that, that kind of hurt, that can't be fixed. What has to happen? Only the Lord can heal the hurt. The soul is what the church should be focused on, not these things, right? I, I, I've told somebody before that the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't save based off of affirmative action. Because right now, if you talk to somebody who's a part of this woke gospel, they'll, they will criticize a church that is predominantly one color or the other. Why? Well, you're being racist. That You have a systematic outreach to one color. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that saves. I mean, it'd be different if you only go and knock on doors of one certain race or, or ethnicity group. But if you truly just care about souls and you just go down the road and you knock on every door and it just so happens that 99% of them are just one ethnicity, that's the Holy Spirit that's saving. The Holy Spirit doesn't do affirmative action. But there are churches that are racist. And I I fully and completely reject those things. We, We condemn those things. But... The, the social justice gospel is out to destroy all churches that are not what they will do. In fact, let me say it like this so you can kind of understand. Southern Baptist Church, SBC, is the, probably the most conservative church in America. Probably. They're the church that wouldn't allow dancing, right? If you've ever, like I grew up Baptist and it was, you know, you don't, they don't dance, they don't do this, they don't do that. And that's good. Predominantly conservative. In the largest Southern Baptist seminaries right now, they're having meetings where if you're white, you can't go to it. Why would they do that? If they're in seminary where the Holy is the Holy Spirit colorblind? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's colorblind. The Holy Spirit doesn't see that. The Holy Spirit sees souls. We, 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 we all of Adam's race. If you a human being, you of Adam's race. The Holy Spirit sees the soul. In, but yet in the Southern Baptist Church, in their seminaries, they're having meetings where you can only come to it if you're a minority. What are they doing? They're trying to get minorities into the leadership of the denomination, excluding people based on their race. That's wrong. And this, this is one of the fundamental flaws of woke, the woke gospel. But, but I want you to see that is in every denomination. I'm sharing these things with you because I'm wanting you to see these battles are being fought across every single one of these. The, the, every single one of these denominations here in some way or another is battling seeker sensitive, is battling the woke gospel. Next one is the emergent gospel, the emergent church. How many of y'all heard of the emergent church? 
The emergent church is a mystical church. They deny the reality of hell. They deny the reality that Jesus is the only way to salvation. They mysticize everything. Jesus is um, become new age. It's that that thought in the mind that you know I'm God now, or I'm. It's a Christ consciousness. That, but the emergent church is infecting every denomination, big time on Protestant churches. Um, then you also have the word faith church that, uh, movement that's infecting all of them. Their theology is infecting so many places. You, you listen to somebody like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, Joyce Meyer, go down the list. That, um, that word faith theology is infecting every denomination. I heard the other day a, a preacher from the Moody uh, Bible School, which is... I believe Baptist. They're, I know they're conservative. I heard him espousing beliefs that came directly from one of the predominant word faith teachers. The, the things that he was saying would have been rejected 20 years ago, but were coming out of his mouth as the truth. And he got it from word faith. Uh, again, that's Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Agin, George Meyer. Um, the uh, another one is uh, New Apostolic Reformation. Raise your hand if you heard a New Apostolic Reformation. NAR, N-A-R. I encourage you to look these things up. Um, the NAR movement is what we call Kingdom Now. Kingdom Now. Um, this is about bringing in the Kingdom of God now. This is um, Seven Mountains Theology. Where this comes from is places like Bethel Church in Redding, California. I've talked about them in the past, Jesus culture. Um, another one would be IHOP. How many of you heard of IHOP, International House of Prayer, Kansas City? Um, you, you get into, uh, it was actually birthed in Vineyard. Uh, the Vineyard Church Movement started out at the Toronto Blessing in, in Canada, all that kind of stuff. That's where it started. And, and it started out, you know, they had good intentions, but it deviated into what we call the NAR or New Apostolic Reformation Movement. Another one that, that most of you have heard of is the Hebrew Roots Movement, Torah Observant Movement. Why am I telling you that? Again, I want you to see that these things are coming into every denomination. You can be Methodist, Pentecostal, or Baptist, and you're going to have somebody bring that any of these things to your doorstep. And these things are coming into the church. Um, so we're, we're in a unique time in this aspect because it, this isn't like a cult like Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or you know Seventh-day Adventist or something like that. It's not a cult like that. What is it? It's, it is a division in bringing people away from Christ. And I believe that all these things are happening at the same time because God is separating sheep and goats. Uh, uh, and God is, because there's no way that, that you, you can't say this is just coincidence that all these things are rising up at the same time. And, and I'm giving you a five-minute overview, 10-minute overview, when you could spend eight weeks on each of these, honestly. And we pro it probably would be good. There's dangers. There's distinct dangers in all these. But I call it consumer compromise.
because all these all these all these false teachings appeal to some kind of, of thing in you where you become a consumer to what they have instead of a consumer of the word of God. It, it, every single one of these lead you away from the simplicity of the gospel. They lead you away from the purity of God's word, the sincerity of, of the milk of God's word. They lead you away from the truth and lead you in a search of truth. Oh, you think you know? Oh, yeah, but you don't know this yet. You don't know how to speak Hebrew. You don't know about the Kabbalah. You don't know about this. Every single one of these is, is what we call Gnostic in its roots. It is that there's a hidden knowledge that you don't know yet. And if you follow the right teacher, you'll get it. This is fundamentally, diametrically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus laid it all out. The gospel was plainly written. You, you, the, the gospel was, he, he died in open shame on a cross on Calvary for all people to see. His name was written above his head. The gospel has been preached to all the world. It is the simplicity of the gospel that saves the soul. But every single one of these groups is Gnostic in the fact that they'll come along beside you and they'll say, oh yeah, you, yeah, that's good that you're learning, but if you follow me, you'll learn this, you'll learn this, and you'll learn this, and you'll learn this, instead of learning the word of God. And that's why these things pose a danger in this hour, and that's why we need to know the truth. Anytime you get into a, a, a teaching like this, it's so important to remember that the truth is what makes people free. The truth is what makes people free. Let me, let me share with you two more verses and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll wind down. Let me share with you two verses. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So here we see in verse one, the apostle uh, Peter, he's, he's writing, and I want you to listen to this language. Is there, no, I want you to hear. But there were false prophets also among the people, because he's talking about in the Old Testament, right? How many of y'all know that there were false prophets in the Old Testament? Right? How many about it in Jeremiah? How many false prophets were there? <laughs> All but one, right? <laughs> But, but listen, he said, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So you can't, you, you can't say, well, they say they're Christian. Because Peter's telling you distinctly, if, if there were false teachers in the Old Testament, there's going to be false teachers in the New Testament. If, if, if there were people that were misleading how many of y'all know in Jeremiah's day, those false prophets were misleading folks? They were saying peace, peace when there was no peace coming. It's all good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Just relax. That guy's crazy. They were misleading people. And he's saying even in your day, if there were false prophets then, there's going to be false teachers now. There shall be false teachers among you. Listen to this. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, 
even denying the Lord that, that bought them and bring upon them swift destruction. Notice the heresies come into the church, into the church. What is a heresy? Somebody know a simple definition of a heresy? Heresy is a deviation from the truth. What we call heresy is when somebody adds to or takes away from a fundamental or essential doctrine of the church. That there's one God, that, that there, he's God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, um, that salvation's in Christ alone, that a virgin birth, that he died on the cross for our sins, that uh, he rose from the dead on the third day, that he's coming back. When people add or take away from those kinds of essentials, that's heresy. And Peter's warning the church, people are going to bring heresy in to lead you away. Um, and, and, and turn with me to Romans 16. This will be our last verse in Romans 16. And we're going to begin in verse number 17. I think it's remarkable because, you know, a lot of people, they don't understand the concept that there will be false teachers in the church and heresies come into the church. That's why it's so important for you to know the truth. And it, we live in the information age where you don't even have to go visit a church to start learning a false doctrine. You can read their book or listen to their message or whatever. And it's playing with fire. It's playing with fire. Because as I said earlier, and, and I'll just, as I said earlier, your flesh rejects the simplicity of the gospel. Your flesh wants to add to it. Your flesh wants to hold something. Your flesh wants to say, see what I've done. I can relax. I'm good. Your flesh wants a crutch. There are no crutches in Christianity. Jesus bore it all. And we receive it all by faith. And that's the difference. And that's one of the biggest ways you can tell when somebody's leading in error. Biggest ways. Now look at verse 17, Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and Avoid them. So, well, let me finish. Let me read verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good, listen, by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple, the sheep. The sheep are deceived when people come in with fair speeches. How is this? How is this, Paul? How does this happen, Paul? He's saying, he's saying here that you're supposed to mark and play with false teachers. No. He said, mark and listen to false teachers. What did he say? Mark and what? Avoid. Well, I know 
and, and, and so I'll, I'll preach on one of my roads I always travel on, which is word faith. The reason I talk about them a lot is because I, I, I went to one of those churches for a while. And, you know, I was told it was a right church. And then I was like, no, this is not right. But, you know, you could go to a church and, 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 and hear that Jesus, you know, became a sinner on the cross and he died and he got, he, he died a sinner and he was in hell burning as a sinner and he suffered as a sinner. He was no longer God. Kenneth Higgins actually said that he, he, he took on the nature of Satan. He became Satan. Took on the nature of Satan. No longer was deity in nature, but was satanic in nature. Heresy. And he said that after three days of suffering, he finally cried out to God to save him, and God saved him. He got born again in the pit of hell. This is from Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, run down the list of the word faith. That's their gospel. Their Jesus got, became satanic and got saved. So when they say Jesus and you say Jesus, you think you're talking about the same Jesus, but you're not. That's one of the things I loved about Brother Clendenham. He got on that. I mean, I praise God for that. He was on top of it back then in the 80s. Brother Clendenham was, was calling it out. But evidently not a lot of people listen. But the truth was getting spoken. But, but, but why is that? Because you, you mark and avoid that because if once you go down that road, you have received another Jesus. That's a completely different Jesus. And I'll, I'll, I'll hearken you back to, to where we started in 2 Corinthians 11. And you go back to Galatians chapter 1. There is a completely another Jesus and a completely another gospel. I never knew that. When I grew up in the church, I was never told that. But it's plainly in the word in 2 Corinthians 11 and Galatians 1 that there is another gospel and there is another Jesus. And Jesus even said, many are going to come in my name. When you look at this, and, and I'll, I'll wind down, but it, it says that they serve not our Lord Jesus, but their own belly. Do you remember that there was a, in Matthew 7, there was a, a group of people that came to Jesus and, and, and Jesus had rejected them and they said, but Lord, didn't we do all these What'd they say? Signs and wonders. Didn't we, didn't we lay hands on the sick? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? I never knew you. So just because somebody uses the name Jesus doesn't mean that they know the Jesus that the Bible declares. And that's, what I want to just kind of camp on, and I believe that the more these things run in the church, people from, let's say, Assemblies of God, Methodist, Baptist, they're going to be funneled into this place where, hey, we just hold the essentials of the truth. You, you might believe, you know, a little bit different than me, but we coalesce around those essentials of the faith. And I believe that as the falling away happens, there's going to be a gathering of the remnant of the church. That latter rain is going to hit on the church. We're going to see an end time revival. But why? 
not because the church is divided, but because the church is united. And the church is going to unite around the truth. And when the church unites around the truth, the power of God's going to come on the church again. And God's going to move in our generation. And so, I, it, I, you know, you could say it's bad because there's so many, it's so fractured right now, but it's actually good because it, it, it really, you can see that these things are happening for a reason. People are, people, and, and, and I, I try to keep up with, you know, topically a lot of different church uh, topics. Um, why? Well, it's what I do. But the, but you know, the Southern Baptist Church, they they are having churches pull out of their denomination in record numbers. They've never had as many people pull and vote themselves out of their denomination as today. Why? Because they're rejecting what the denomination is accepting, which is one of these six things that I listed. And there's more. I just listed you some of the six that are very common. But I'm going to close there and, and let you ask any questions uh, for a few moments before we leave. Father, we, we just bless you tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your truth and your gospel. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is simple.